TFS episode number 133. This is Greg Duncan. Angela Dugan. Josh Garbrick. And this is Martin Woodward. Wow, we got almost like a full, sh- uh, uh, what is it called? A full hand, full show. Full house. Full house, whatever. thank yeah. you. Yeah, today's been a long week. How you guys doing? <laughs> Great. How, how's things with you, Greg? Uh, good. Guess what? I, I've got like really exciting news. We are seriously investigating here in my day job going and using uh, VSTS. Like, Yay! Really? Ooh. That's awesome. Because wow. what's happened with all the reticence around the cloud? The Like I was I mentioned in past shows, the move to Office 365 has kind of like mm-hmm. broken that barrier, that, that glass ceiling of going to the cloud. Once we figured all of our email and our SharePoint and all that stuff is out there, well, then ah, just putting the source code up there, that's an easy call. Huh. Well, hey, remember the aka.ms WAC TFS import data link. There you go. That's a bit of an impromptu plug there. But uh, remember to go take a look at that. Yeah, but I've actually got a, a story that um, Angela commented on in, in the pre-notes that is very selfish because we're going to okay. try to do it fresh. We'll talk later about with our guest about that. So, Angela, how are you doing? Doing good. It's actually really windy here in Chicago. It's it's uh, like like bordering Wizard of Oz levels of, of wind around here. So I keep waiting for one of my chickens to go flying by the window. It's pretty crazy. <laughs> do, do, do you really have chickens? I do. We have two chickens, actually. My uh, my husband actually built the coop, too. So it's, it's pretty fancy. It's like a McMansion for our chickens. <laughs> Uh, do they have names? They do. <laughs> Gertrude and Betsy. <laughs> <laughs> of course I named them. <laughs> uh, Josh, what have you been up to, yes, my sir. friend? Oh, all kinds of crazy stuff. And we, we've got wind problems here as well. I just got a message from my wife saying that I owe her one because she saved our deck box and all of our patio furniture cushions uh, from the wind. So apparently we are also experiencing some sort of tornadic activity out our way. And you're um, at, where are you? I'm in Buffalo. So we have Buffalo, we have Chicago, we have uh, Dublin. Well, uh, close uh, enough. Northern Ireland. Northern Ireland. Los Angeles. <laughs> and, Los and, Angeles. and our guest. And our guest, where are you from, Ben, before I do your introduction? Uh, I'm in Brookline, <laughs> Massachusetts, which okay. is basically Boston. So how am I the only one on the West Coast? That's weird. Wait, where are you? Los Angeles. No kidding. For my sins, it's uh, 86 degrees out, I think, today. Yes, it's a horrible life we lead out here on the <laughs> left coast. That's simply dreadful. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get started here. Um, we've got a lot of news to cover. We've got a great guest who's a returning guest, Benjamin Day. Benjamin Day is a consultant and trainer specializing in software development best practices using Scrum with Microsoft ALM tool. Ben's main areas emphasis includes Team Foundation Server Scrum, software testing, and software architecture. My- Microsoft MVP, he is. Very Yoda-ish. He is a Microsoft MVP, a certified Scrum master via Scrum.org, and a speaker at many conferences, including TechEd and VS Law. When not developing software, Ben's been known to go running and kayaking in order to balance out his love of cheese, cured meats, and champagne. His online courses are available at Pluralsight, and he can be contacted via his website, www.benday.com. Ben, welcome to the show officially. Howdy, howdy. Good to be here. Good to have you back, Ben. You're, you're on roughly every 70 shows. I think the last show you were on was show number 63. So, uh, yeah, good effort. I'm the, the Haley's Comet of podcast episodes. <laughs> <laughs> Something like that. 
Exactly. That's brilliant. So we've got a lot, again, a lot of news. We're going to, um, listeners, you guys, uh, we're going to go through them really quick so we spend more time with Ben. So you'll be hearing a lot of see the show notes. You can always get those at RadioTFS.com. Uh, the first thing we're going to cover is the launch event, Visual Studio 2017 launch events. Officially was launched <laughs> yesterday. It's still going live as we speak on Channel9.com. If you go there, you can get like all on demand. There's 61 episodes as I 61 episodes as I speak right now um, big launch so what was launched uh, Visual Studio 2017 general availability Julia how do you pronounce her name guard uh, last name Martin Lewison 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 I have to remember that because we've got another post from her in a second um, she's got a great bod blog post uh, about announcing the whole general availability, the most productive version yet. Uh, they're talking about Visual Studio for Mac, Team Foundation Server, and the Visual Studio Mobile Center. And of course, we've got .NET Core, ASP.NET Core. And it's kind of ironic. On her post, she references uh, Team Foundation Server 2015 Update 1 and says, check out Brian's blog post. Um, Brian was out yesterday, so didn't get, actually get to write the post yet. So he's writing it as we speak. And uh, by the time we're done, we'll hopefully have a link in the show notes to that post. I was all day yesterday looking, where's the 2017.1? Where's 2017.1? Well, uh, it's there. If you've got an MSDN subscription, you can download it. There's a couple other posts we'll have in the show notes, which is really nice. The docs.com, uh, docs.com, the docs.microsoft.com team has been really kicking butt. Uh, as much as kind of question documentation, they've been rocking it. So right now there is a whole section on Visual Studio 2017, what's new, all the different features in all the different areas. Uh, the welcome page, we'll have the links in the show notes, has a lot of the details and links to more information than you'll be able to spend the weekend doing it, including official documentation on how to do it offline installer because 2017 there is no ISO it will not be provided primarily because of all the third-party software that it installs so they have given instructions on how you can create your own offline installer um, and, and the one tip that I'm seeing everywhere make sure you have a lot of drive space when you create that offline installer I haven't said that the actual installation itself happens really quickly you know it's pretty good so, um... Yeah, Oscar, my, my, my partner in crime, installed it yesterday, and he was mm -hmm. all like, beyond needing getting by the UAC prompt, which we talked about last show, um, yep. once he installed it, he, he did it to a, a machine with an SSD drive. It's like a minute. It was just like, what? You know, just bare baseline shell, but it was installed mm -hmm. and done, and he had to go back and double check. It's not really installed, is it? Did it break? No, it really installed. So Yeah, no, it's pretty awesome. Now, I um, I officially unpinned Visual Studio 2015 as of uh, well, uh, the weekend, at the weekend. So, yeah, so that's pretty that's pretty cool. So that, that was a big mo moment for me, you know. That one's been pinned there for a while, so it's good. Ben, what are you thinking about uh, VS 2017? Are you happy, sad, rocking? It's it's pretty good stuff. Um, I I've, I mentioned to uh, Buck Hodges just a couple of days ago. It's like just stuff is coming too fast. <laughs> <laughs> yep, it's pretty cool. It's pretty amazing. And you've been playing a lot with the .NET stuff lately, haven't you, Ben? As well. Yeah, I've been up to my eyeballs in it. I'm um, trying to get all the sort of DevOps stuff with EF Core and ASP.NET Core working. Uh -huh. And just to make it harder for myself, I'm trying to do it on Linux, which the last time I seriously knew anything about Linux was about 1997. So it's been, you know, it's been a lot of work, but it's so cool when it finally works. You're like, oh man, I just deployed an ASP.NET website and ran unit tests and integration tests against SQL Server, and it's all on <laughs> Linux. It's pretty crazy, and it's fast as well. That's so crazy. You know, it all works really well. 
Uh, yeah. One last thing I want to make sure we mentioned with that whole installation thing. Mm. If you're a Microsoft test manager, Gordon Beaming, who wasn't wasn't able to be with us today, uh, just did a post about, you know, I installed VS 2017 Enterprise and there's no MTM. Where is it? He gives a little number of screenshots and how you can update and change the installation to get that installed. You know, the thing is, is it I hardly miss it. Like one of the great things about the new <laughs> the new stuff in TFS 2017 is that all the things you needed that were in MTM, especially like test configurations, that's in the web interface now. So all I need is the test runner. Yeah. No, now that's pretty much the feedback. I went and had a, we had a little bit of a discussion about MTM in the show last week and had a chat with the team. And that's basically their feedback is they're trying to push more and more into the web and more and more, you know, that they can. In, um, so it's, again, um, with the team are trying to be much more cross-platform now and that, that gives them that. So, yeah, it's good stuff. Uh, Josh, on your day job, do you guys use MTM or, or any of the or the web UI? As a matter of fact, we do both. Um it's it's funny because you know we we went through the whole conversion process to VSTS and I've been trying to work with folks to get them to to be more uh, web minded and in, in, in adopting some of the feature sets there and the uh, QEs here just recently announced that they were going to use MTM as their primary uh, for for running tests and everything and I said okay well that you know that's that's perfectly acceptable and I I'm in the same camp with Ben, where I think that the the web interface has come such a long way that there's kind of not too much of a need for the MTM thick client anymore. But um, yeah, both both uh, both of those are being used on our side. So very cool. Well, should we go through, through some of the other releases as well yeah. that came out? Yeah. So um, we'll we'll wait for these quickly, but uh, obviously back in my sort of Ballywick, the um, the Visual Studio Team Services plugin for um, IntelliJ. Um, came out, which also works for Android Studio, you know, which is getting a lot of downloads, obviously. And then things like the Rider EAP, anything based on top of IntelliJ, it works with. And that gives you um, full uh, TFVC support um, inside of IntelliJ. And it's good on a couple of fronts. One, it's it's good to see um, yeah, IntelliJ has had some TFVC support for a while, but it's kind of been a little bit ropey, you know, um, it never, never was awesome. So it's good to see this one actually coming out from Microsoft um, rather than the JetBrains guys because, you know, it's, the Microsoft guys invest a lot more in it because it's TFVC and they've gone and done it. And secondly, they're releasing stuff to do with TFVC, so that's awesome to see as well for everyone that's, you know, inv- invested in that. It's good to see new stuff coming out from the team. And, uh, yeah, so I was just pleased to see that, really. And they've done, a, they've done a great job. I know how much work that is, so I was really impressed to see it, see it coming out. Good job, team. So besides all the new releases, I, I, I guess there's a whole bunch of new benefits for subscribers. You have a post on that, Josh? As a matter of fact, I do. Uh, there, there are quite a few new uh, benefits and uh Dev Essentials updates that were that were put out, everything from an Office 365 Dev account to Ops Agility on Demand training to more uh, Pluralsight on Demand training, and perhaps one of my favorites of all time, the inclusion of Redgate data tools. Yay! So, exactly. I was so excited to see that. I can't even tell you. Really? Why? Well, we've been looking at trying to incorporate uh, ReadyRoll specifically, but a couple of other products as well, and. And we've kind of run into some roadblock blocks, um, both fiscally and logistically, to to get some of that stuff rolled out. And this makes the the adoption rate much easier. Nice. So big and question then, on that. You guys go ahead. Yeah, so big question on that is what's the future of SSDT? <laughs> You've been reading the mailing list, haven't you? <laughs> I, it's, well, I saw that coming, and I'm like, okay, 
I know a lot about SSDT. Are my skills about ready to get like seriously deprecated? I personally, I don't think so. I have seen these bundling deals in the past, and I think it's uh, sitting from the outside. I see it just as Microsoft reaching out to and incorporating some of the third-party stuff, giving people alternates. I, I really like you. Hope that I love SSD. I, 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 you know, it just it just works for me, and we have it using uh, in in our deployment release management. And, you know, I, I've written code and projects with it. And, and yeah, I don't plan on going to a Redgate any time in the future. But for like Josh, people who need it, it it's there. And that they like numbered sequential migrations and scriptings and, and those kind of deterministic things, then, you know, it's here in the box for it. So just to explain to some of the listeners, SSDT is a SQL Server data tools. Um, so, yeah, just sort of, I thought about it. i throw that in there just in case people <laughs> are wondering what that is. Um, what was the other thing I wanted to – oh, that, yeah, the – a lot of these things are for enterprise, uh, but the plural mm-hmm. site, I mean, look, they're giving a whole year of the entire plural site catalog available to Visual Studio Enterprise. And that doesn't mean that Microsoft's going to buy, buy plural site. So I kind of look at the same thing with the red gate. I, I don't know. And you've got some courses on plural site too, have you been? Yeah, I've got like uh, six or seven, and I'm neck deep in running the TFS 2017 class right now. So go out there and watch my courses. <laughs> Yeah, and the, um, the the white source stuff's interesting. You know, obviously I come from, I have been doing a lot of the open source stuff. And um, this is a, a good sort of lightweight solution to to identify um, open source components that might cause a problem for your team and, you know, looking at security issues and things like that. So, um, yeah, it's, it was an interesting uh, plug in there too. And again, it's great just to see all these partner bundles coming through. And I have to uh, put in a plug for white source as well. I'm currently working with them with their existing uh, white source plugin, not the Bolt one, but the one that's been uh, previously available. And, and they're a very responsive team. Yeah, yeah I've had lots of good, lots of good feedback about the white source company. You know, they seem pretty, pretty good, pretty responsive. Yeah, the, my only beef so far uh, is when they're doing NPN packages and they're not, they're currently working on it. It's like in beta, it's in preview. So it's coming or probably maybe it has already come. But you know, when you do NPN packages and you have multiple dependencies and multiple dependencies and the oh, like one of the third layer down dependencies is a license that you want to review. It's hard to see that full relationship tree. It's a hard problem to solve that as well. But yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's what they're saying too. It's all like because they're using uh, NPM pack. No, there's mm-hmm. another term for it. But they're that's how they're bundling up all these things and doing an analysis on the backside. And that dependency tree, like when you run NPM install uh, on your desktop, you see all that dependencies trees and little pluses and minuses. Well, they're not getting that. So it's a really hard problem for them to solve and they're working on it. But uh, just, just something to that I have run into and I thought, oh, wow, this is great. And then, you know, it became a little bit of a pain in the butt, but, you know, it worked. And in the end, they walked me through all the setup and all the configuration. So uh, that's a cool. great, it's a great benefit. Yeah, very cool. As hey, Kong, cut, chop, chop. Got a lot of news. We want yeah, to chat yeah, with yeah, Sorry. We're going to go really fast on these next ones that I've got. Um, the, the 20 store, the 20 years of Visual Studio. People have been doing a lot of that because yesterday was also the, the 20th anniversary for Visual Studio 2017. Um, uh, Julia Lewison, who we talked about earlier, she did a .NET Rocks show with um, Carl and Richard. And, and I just thought that was cool. I, we can call out to other podcasts, right? It's only fair. So she did a show with them talking about the 20 years of Visual Studio. Uh, Paul Therott has done a number of things, and he's talked about both the faces behind Visual Studio as well as his books on Visual, mm-hmm. Visual Inner Dev 1.0, his uh, 
first VB3 book that he did. I just thought that was uh, just kind of cool seeing that kind of stuff. So the th- I've got to speak about the Faces one. It was just awesome to see because obviously that's the team I've been working with. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, it's been really it's, – yeah, it's, it was really nice to see. Obviously, Julia, you know, gets a bit of – like she's known to quite a lot of people because she's the VP, so, you know. Mm-hmm. But um, people like uh, Philip and Casey and, um, yeah, it was just lovely. Uh, you know, Mackay was right. It was just great to see everybody. So, uh, yeah, I was thrilled to see that post. And nice to see some of the other people getting um, – a bit of uh, recognition as well. So good stuff. And we're not going to ask the hosts what version of Visual Studio you guys started with. All right, nobody. No, no, we got to do that one. Oh, Mine was VB two, VB two, because you. Um, I uh, we used to. I wrote used to write applications at school to, to sort of oh. get out of the sandbox environment in school, so I could run like a little app runner. And VB two, you could copy onto floppy disk and take it home with you if you were a bit if you were like wanting to pirate. So there we go. Uh, VB two right. was me. Thank you for that old man moment there, Martin. I really appreciate yeah. that because mine was VB1 at, at work <laughs> writing a call tracking, you know, a call logging wow. utility using the Paradox uh, database library. To actually, that was the data where we stored it all. And our uh, we didn't have a network at the time, so we'd copy the data, the Paradox databases nightly onto floppy. And then my job along with developer was to take all those floppies and consolidate all that data together so we could do the reports. Yeah, that was fun. Um, Angela, what's your first Visual Studio? The wind blew her away. I feel like a young whippersnapper because my first (laughs) one was VB3. (laughs) VB3, eh? See, that was the first version that didn't fit onto floppy disk and it had all (laughs) the protection and stuff. But um, you had 3D buttons, so, you know, crazy. Ooh, it was fancy. (laughs) Uh, Josh? Mine was actually VB4. Uh, well, we're moving up. And then, Ben, what about you? I, I'm trying to figure that out. It must have been sometime around 1995, and it was, you know, VB2, 3, or 4. Yeah, it would have been. Yeah, around about VB3. Yeah, exactly. Cool. Well, there we go. We're all very old. So that's good. <laughs> Move on. Um, so, obviously, uh, TFS 2017 chipped, and we'll, we'll stick in Brian's link to the, the blog post. But um, there's a roadmap as well, Josh. There is. Brian's got a post out there about the the, uh, the current roadmap, and there are a couple of really interesting things on here, uh, not only around the uh, Git commit graph and some of the other Git features that have been built in, but a really nifty graphical interface that, that overlays the release process and will actually walk you through as particular items are in various stages of that release pipeline. Uh, to me, I think that that's really interesting. Yeah, wasn't that cool? That is awesome. Yeah. There's that was actually some... new to me as well. I didn't. I hadn't noticed that was coming until I saw it in the post. So I love it when that happened. There we go. I'm still catching up. Well, truth be told, I was the same. I mean, I was scrolling through and I'm like, whoa, what is that? <laughs> yeah. So the UI really is cool. getting really good now, isn't it? As well, it's quite mm-hmm. amazing. Anyway, yep. And what about uh, like System Center? Do you guys do System Center, Josh? We do actually. I mean, my my company specifically does not, but the parent company does. Do you guys use the TFS management packs? I don't believe so. Well, if you guys do, if your listeners are doing it, there, uh, Brian Harry has a new one out for TFS 2017. It's been a while. Um, it took a little bit longer, but there is a, a system center management pack for TF 2017 is now available. And just to make, what that does is it helps you monitor, you know, like your app tier and your data tier and things like that and stick that into, uh, and stick, or have all that information appear inside system center. So if you're a TFS admin, it's, it's worth looking at. 
Yeah, and speaking of notifications, I'll just segue right into another one that I saw that was good. So I, I'm a pretty heavy user of, of notifications, not necessarily the email, right? So I, I think most of the users probably know that you can set up email notifications for things like work items and builds and code reviews and pull requests. Um, but they've actually done some a, a lot of new new and cool extensibility. So Will Smith, um, no relation to Fresh Prince, has a really great blog post out there where they talk about some of the new stuff they're doing. So um, they've done a lot around performance and scalability. Um, there's a lot of subscriptions right out of the box that are pretty nice. You don't even really have to think about some of the basics that that most people want to use. Um, and now in the marketplace, there's all kinds of extensions. So you can hook up notifications into things like Microsoft Teams, Slack, hip chat there, there's all kinds of great stuff mm-hmm. um, I, I think the one thing though that I want to make sure to, to call out because I know I got surprised by this one day I was doing a demo and I started uh, changing some of the work items and assigning things to my husband and my boss because they're all users in my, my fake demo project <laughs> and it turns them on by default so the, all of a sudden they're getting all these emails about work items being assigned to them and they're like what is this bug that you sent me and I'm like oh sorry <laughs> so I had to go in and tell hey, hey so. sweetie it was his boogie sent me. Uh, right. Hey, if if I my wife started listing bugs on me, we'd never stop the show. There we go. So yeah, I wouldn't have to stop using Bill Gates in my demos. Right. So, so yeah, be be beware that there are some new notifications that get turned on by default when you spin up new projects, spin up new teams. So you know, try to avoid spamming your team accidentally, and and you know, let people know they can go unsubscribe from those. It's worth saying, Greg, for you, you know, coming from, say, Jira to, you know, all your things over to VSTS now, things like the way, you know, making it much easier to customize notifications and customizing the work item template process, hopefully this will help you in your Jira conversion. No, but here's the deal is that our work items are actually, we we moved from Jira a couple lifetimes ago to version one, and we're keeping our work items there. It's the version control, build and release management, source control management, static analysis, all that stuff is that we're moving from on-prem TFS to VSTS. Well, actually, we're moving them. We're we're moving ourselves and starting fresh out there in VSTS. Well, there we go. That's crazy talk, but we'll move on. Um, (laughs) Speaking of new stuff, real quick, Buck Hodges has a nice, the March 27 digest for the new stuff that is in VSTS from delivery plans to mobile work item form preview. We've talked about these in the shows, updated package management, release management, release views in package management, the updated build editor, those kind of stuff. So we'll have a link in the show notes for that as well. And if somebody else were thinking about moving from on-prem to VSTS. Yeah, there, there's actually a couple of other articles that, that I know you're going to share the links out. Um, one from someone named Deepak who's talking about some really helpful commands to know when you're doing the migration to VSTS. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm sure Ben can attest to this as well, but as, as someone who does a lot of upgrades, I, I, feel, I find myself constantly going back to the same command line tools over and over. Um, and so he just kind of lists out an, a nice set of like, here's the ones you're going to need. You know, here they are up front with some gotchas in there. Um, and then there's another good article um, from, by Peter talking about production upgrades. Um, because if you're going to VSTS and you're, you're not already on TFS, uh, you know, one of the later versions of it, you're, you're going to have to upgrade to the latest version anyway before you migrate to VSTS. So there's some good advice in there on, on things you should do, like things like making sure you have some, some buffer because, you know, you could potentially run into some issues, especially if you're migrating from, say you're doing an upgrade from 2010 to 2017 before you do your VSTS migration. 
he also had some good advice for, you know, staying calm and assessing the situation because sometimes you'll get errors that sound kind of nasty. But then when you really kind of, you know, unpack it a little bit, you're like, okay, I just need to go like clear out a directory and, and you know, hit continue. Um, definitely some good things for mitigating risk in there because those upgrades, you know, if you have a client that's got a lot of data, it, it can, they can be pretty time consuming. So making sure that you plan ahead, you know, make, make sure you're not surprised if at all possible and, and always do a test migration first. That's, that's the big one. You'll find that in the migration guidance. You'll find that in the MSDN docs. And it really is important to do that test upgrade first. So you've been blogging up stuff, blogging up a storm. Oh, me? Oh, yeah, yeah, I have. Yeah, thanks for reminding me. Um, we've been having a lot of uh, a lot of new events going on lately, um, and there's there's a set of events that's that's actually going to be pretty much across the U.S. Um, now, the name of it is a is a little I don't know. To me, it's kind of vague. It's called 360 on Innovative Applications, and I'm I'm sure someone thought that was a great title, but from looking at that, you have no idea what the event is. Um, so I wanted to make sure and put a blog post out there so people didn't just kind of see the invite and delete it. Um, but it's it's really going to be focused focusing on DevOps strategy, um, on, on people and process and tools, not just on the tools themselves. They're going to have a panel discussion. Um, they've got a talk on zero to DevOps, so how to kind of quickly uh, kind of get your feet wet and jump in and start that process going. Uh, so, you know, there's some of them have already happened, but there's, you know, for instance, Chicago is March 16th, so that's coming up soon. Atlanta's the 21st, Kansas City's the 23rd. There's maybe half a dozen other cities as well. So definitely check out that post and, and see if, if you haven't missed it. It might be something worth signing up for. Um, but one big note is is to know that this really is kind of high-level strategy. It's not a hands-on lab. It's not like a, a deep dive thing where people are going to be opening up Visual Studio and doing stuff. So want to make sure people know that. And one other post I had out there, so, um, you know, most of us are, but I, I'm definitely involved in conferences, both organizing them, participating in, and speaking at them. And one of the things that, you know, as an organizer, we kind of struggle with is you, you tend to see, not that this is necessarily a bad thing, but you tend to see the same people at every conference, right? It's the same speakers. They're all great. Like Ben Day, Ben is an awesome speaker. I've seen him speak a number of times. But there are people who get really intimidated, right? Because they see someone like Ben and they're like, man, I can never be that awesome, right? I, I don't have that confidence or I don't know as well, much well, as well that's true but maybe not as awesome <laughs> as me <laughs> thanks Angela yeah but but it just it's one of those things where I, I, I wrote a quick blog post like hey you know like don't feel like you can't get up there and speak at a conference just because you know maybe you've only been in the industry for a year or a few years um, you know take a chance everybody has something to share um, and there's a lot of people willing to help you write proposals practice your uh, practice your sessions and a lot of times conferences actually have channels that you can use where you can get on a slack channel so I'm, I'm one of the organizers of that conference right and we have a that slack that you can join so you can say hey I'm thinking about talking about this is this interesting or I need someone to help me come up with ideas but there is a lot of support out there um, so it's just a blog post trying to encourage more people to, to get involved in speaking at conferences I've got to say I, one I got to check out that blog post um, but one of the hardest things for me is actually coming up with the ideas for the talks like that, that stuff. Like I'm always kind of amazed, like Richard Hunhausen, for example, <laughs> he'll, he'll submit a talk title and be like, why didn't I think of that? It's like the most brilliant angle on a talk. And I just sort of, a lot of times I feel like I'm submitting the same stuff again and again. It's like TFS, blah, 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 or scrum, blah, blah, blah. And then you hear, see other stuff, other speakers, and you're just so intimidated by their their awesome titles. So there you go. Just going to show you, even an awesome speaker like Ben is also uh, suffering from uh, imposter syndrome. So it's good to see. Oh, God, definitely. 
We're all faking it. We're all faking it. There's no. I'm such a fraud. It's unbelievable. (laughs) All right. Well, I'm going to step on Josh. Josh had a had a cool story. uh, DevOps in the wild with Hamish Watson and Adam Kogan, and we'll have links in the show notes for that. We have ALM Ranger stuff. We're not going to go into details on that. I I want to do a shout out to introducing um, Werner DeSantos, David Kalman, and the January champion Chris Mason. Uh, Those links to those guys will be in the show notes. But let's talk. Ben. All right, Ben, it's your turn. We're about 30 minutes in, um, another you know hour and a half, and I think we'll be done talking about Ben. <laughs> Let the narcissism begin. <laughs> so what is uh, – uh, this, this is a question I stole from Mickey Gusset a, a couple shows ago. And I, what is a day in Ben's life like? Uh, uh, what actually, you're catching me on a day where I was like, oh, I'm going to go work at Starbucks. I hate this. <laughs> Uh, I thought today was going to be slow, and then today uh, turned into a nonstop explosion. Um, one of my financial services customers was just like, hey, I need this now. Um, so, yeah, that was pretty fun. Um, no, but it's it's incredibly varied. I have, like, yesterday I was doing uh, DevOps coaching. Um, today was a little bit of coding. Uh, I'm up to my eyeballs in stress about being behind and delivering my next Pluralsight course. So. Yeah, stuff like that. So you've been a, to to fill in, um, as you can tell, listeners, we have this highly orchestrated setup here for the questions. MVP, you've been an MVP for like ever, officially? I'm looking over at my uh, little, I don't know, what do you call it? The little trophy thing they give us. It looks like 11 years, maybe 12 years. Oh which which is God stunning. Gross. I'm like, oh no, I'm so unbelievably old. Yeah. So what, oh. you weren't always an ALM MVP, though, were you, Ben? Were you always an ALM MVP? No, I started off C sharp in I think '06. There we go. Crazy. And then what did you? How did you get more involved with the ALM side of things? Um. So my my mentor back in the day was uh, Richard Hill Shaw. He was a C sharp MVP. Um. And he somehow managed to finagle me onto the customer advisory council for TFS. And uh, Chuck Sterling one day was like, hey, you want to be a TFS MVP? And I'm like, okay. And whoop, there I was. Cool. But were you doing work with customers who were using TFS already and things like that? Were you doing, had there been a lot of those? Yeah, I was um, doing TFS work since the, pre, the pre-release of TFS 2005. Wow. So, so I've got a question. Um, so you've got a ton of good guides out there. Like I would, I would say it's a fair bet that at least half the time I'm out at a, a gig, I'm probably referring to one of Ben's posts with, you know, here's a, here's a hundred pages on how to install TFS 2017 with awesome details. Like how on earth do you find time to do all this stuff while you're doing consulting and kayaking out in the ocean and, and running and all these other things? Like, I don't know where you find the time, dude. Yeah. I, uh, I, I realized that I've been working two weeks straight. Um, I, I came back from vacation in January, and I had three weeks where I couldn't get my head in the game. So I've been kind of running like crazy to try to make sure I got blog posts out there. But with the installation guides, it's it's more like I want to blog things because I want to share what I know and what I've learned. And a lot of it is just I jump in and try to figure it out. And with the TFS installation, it's I want to record what I'm doing so that I can use my own guide later on. <laughs> Um, so if I'm doing a TFS install or an upgrade for a customer, I will use my own guide 
to do it, um, to make sure I don't miss a step, make sure I do it the same way every time, you know, stuff like that. There's nothing worse than Googling a problem or binging a problem with Google or whatever. <laughs> Googling a problem with Bing, and then you get your own article shot. Yeah. And you're like, oh, man. <laughs> yeah, it, it, when you figure out, it's like, I actually used to know the answer? Or, yeah. or when you look at the thing, you're like, I know I'm wrong. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's the yeah. There was the one once where, I, I can't remember what it was now, but I was looking up, like it was just some problem to do with build and some MS build thing with build and something else cross platform I thought god who's like I must know who's the expert on this who's like the world expert on this topic and I sat down and thought oh crap that's probably me <laughs> I have no idea what the answer is I'm gonna have to go and uh, I'm gonna have to go sit down and go talk to like about 10 people now to try and help me figure this out because I have no idea and I'm, apparently I'm the one that's supposed to solve this problem nowadays so the downsides of coming over to the dark side at least you always blame somebody at Microsoft when you're outside so it's good but the upside of that is when you figure it out, you turn it into a blog post. And yeah, well, that's good. I, I, f- I feel like 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 th- that kind of thing, like a post you might write or a post that I might write or Angela or whatever. Like we're we're doing a public service. Like someone else is going to hit that, and I can see it in my referral traffic on my blog. Other people hit the same stuff. Like there's one that I wrote five years ago about MS Deploy or something like that, and man, that's probably the number one most popular blog post that I've got. Um, and it's just, it's the, the blog posts are the result of beating our head against the wall really, really hard. It's funny the ones that make it as well, the ones that start getting the Google traffic. Yeah, it's crazy. So I'm going to jump in with one. Of, um, you did a uh, walkthrough around the build agents on Linux as well, which is good to see. So how have you found, was that again one that you were just doing because you needed to? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of on a kick um, that, you know, sort of thinking about, you know, I've been an MVP for 11 years and then we were sort of looking at the amount of stuff that gets released or whatever. I was having a conversation with my wife about um, technology and how we have to just reinvent everything we know every couple of years. Um, my wife's a rheumatologist. Rheumatology does not completely shift every two years, maybe not even every 10 years. Um, so with with that, it's just sort of a, okay, this is a gigantic new thing that I kind of need to learn. I want to learn. So, um, you know, trying to make all that cross-platform stuff work, it, it kind of, it feels to me like it's going to be really popular with the world. Very cool. Well, hey, I've got a question for you, Ben. Sure. Uh, let's talk about Scrum. All right. And, and a question that, that kind of pops to mind is, do you think Scrum is dead? Do you think that it's uh, alive and well, or do you think it's on its way out? Oh, define dead. Like, what, what do you have in mind when you... <laughs> I'm going to open the question you write back. Like what? I really I really don't think you want me to answer that. Okay. Um so uh, let me uh, it's uh, when I look at that, issues. When I, yeah, when I look at that question I say, you know, I I've, I've been hearing a lot that scrum is quote unquote dead, agile is dead. What, you know, it, it's but it's 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 mature, right? That's kind of what I think. I, but the, the thing that kind of gets me like david Starr, like noted expert in scrum um you know was like chief scientist at scrum.org for a number of years um he and i had this conversation a couple of years ago where he's like well i think it's probably done uh no one's doing any scrum anymore and i'm like what are you talking about i meet so many customers where it is brand new even now um so i, I think that we're probably hitting that you know the fat part of the bell curve or whatever however you say that yeah but it's not it's not really sexy anymore. Um, but it's also kind of mandatory if you want to be really good at doing the, you know, software delivery. Like 
I'm what? seeing more and more teams doing it. Like I'm seeing more and more non-software teams starting to pick it up as well, which is interesting. Uh, you know, and definitely Scrum techniques for sure. Yeah, so I, I'm kind of curious what will come next because you know, it can't last forever. Um, I'm seeing a lot more Kanban. I see a lot more organizations that um, think they need to adopt Scrum because that's what everyone's doing, when in reality they probably need to go Kanban just because they're a small small org or whatnot. So why, yeah, why, why would you say go for the, yeah, why would you, why would you even say that, Ben? Why would I take money out of my own pocket and yeah, give it exactly. away? Uh, well, it's so here's the here's the scenario. So you've got a smallish company. Let's say they've got uh, ten, you know, been around for fifteen years. They've got a bunch of different products that are out there that sort of add up to their enterprise. They've got maybe six or seven developers, handful of QA people, but they're not really working on anything as a team. So so if it feels like they're working as a team, then yeah, Scrum. If it feels like they're just working on tickets, that starts to say more to me we're Kanban. Or if the team size is really small, like two or three people, then it's really starting to feel like, well, the overhead of Scrum wouldn't scale. So I got a question, very, very uh, a personal question on it. We can go fast on it, though. Uh, I'm a certified Scrum Master with the Scrum Alliance. What is the difference between Scrum Alliance and Scrum.org? Do you know? <laughs> so uh, technically, I'm supposed to stab you at this point. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's like the crits and the bloods of, uh, of Scrum. Um, eh, so Scrum Alliance is uh, Jeff Sutherland's company. Scrum.org is Ken Schwaber's company. And they just got different mindsets for how they came up. Um, uh, that's all I want to get into right now. I don't want people to hate me. <laughs> <laughs> so so I'll, I'll segue away to something more more safe then. How about that? Yeah, um, steer me away from the sharp pointy sticks. <laughs> right. So you had a blog post recently that, that I, I really enjoyed, um, which was essentially three myths of, of Scrum and essentially specifically around people. Um, and in, you probably don't have it right in front of you. And if you can't remember, I'll just call them out really quick, right? So myth number one is Scrum must be huggy-feely. I love that one. Um, anyone can be a Scrum master is number two. And number three is the Scrum master has to be a techie. Um, so for any folks that maybe haven't read it, like, I don't know if you want to kind of high-level talk about any of those, but I, I really love the article because it, it's stuff I bump into all the time. Well, I'm glad you liked it. Um, yeah, so... Um... Scrum.org is trying to get people to is trying to get trainers to go out and write um, Scrum myth posts. So there's all kinds of things that come up again and again, and and um, I saw those come by as suggested topics, and I'm like, oh yeah, this this is definitely related. Um, I mean, Angela, you and I have talked tons about how software development is is such a human endeavor, and that the emotional people skills thing is almost more important than whether you know the technology sometimes. Um, it's not all, but anyway. It definitely is, but anyway. Yeah, really. Um, so with with that, it's like that um, Scrum has to be kind of like huggy-kissy, like, we, like we're going to all hang out and sing Kumbaya. Um, doesn't have to be that way, but which is to say that you can still do Scrum and not have to be really addressing the emotional stuff. But my point with that first part of the myth was that when you're looking for places to improve, pretty quickly you're going to start looking at, okay, let's see how we can keep our people happy as a way to improve them. And then I forget what the second one. The second one was anyone can oh. be the scrum master. Yep. Um, you know, on that one, the, the idea is that a lot of people are just like, let's just, you know, roll the dice and, you know, do a random number 
pick, and whoever picks that gets to be the scrum master. And it's kind of related to the people skills thing. If if you have somebody who's just simply not good with the peopling, um, it's it's a tough gig as a scrum master. And then the final one was the scrum master has to be techie. And man, I couldn't disagree with that one more. Like that, you almost want someone in that job who is not techie. Yeah, I was. I was like, why? Why do you even? Why do people even think that? I was really surprised that that is even a myth. That never crossed my mind that that should be like that. Well, I I think it's that uh, people tend to think that the scrum master's job is to call BS and to tell the people on the team when they're wrong. And Mm. I think that that's that's the path to the dark side. That's the the path to command and control scrum, um, as opposed to self-organized scrum. So. What I like to see is someone who is much more knowledgeable about the end-to-end delivery of software. And a lot of times I think that is someone who has a background in QA. Like developers think in code. QA thinks in, okay, well, I get code from the developers, software from the developers. It has to be tested, then it has to be deployed. They've got a slightly more expansive view of the delivery process. So I always thought, maybe I was doing it wrong, I always thought my job as a scrum master was to be like getting rid of impediments. Is that is that too much of a... A manager attitude to things? So I was like making sure the team could stay on track. If we're going to go uh, down to the to the written laws of Scrum, um, the Scrum Master is responsible for making sure the impediments are addressed. The Scrum Master yeah. doesn't actually have to address the impediments. Yeah, that's fair enough. Yep. Um, so I think it really kind of depends on the team and depends on the Scrum Master and the types of impediments that you see. Um, yeah, I don't know. I wouldn't say that what you're doing was wrong. Well, I just but generally in teams, I always try and do the, the, the rubbish I don't want anybody else to do because they're all cleverer than me, and I just want to concentrate on getting stuff out of the way so they can be more productive. You know. Anyway, well, I'm going to shut a, up again. That's, so that's exactly why I, the right attitude, though. That's yeah. like the perfect mindset. So oh, okay. yeah, my my partner Crime Oscar will be listening to this, and a I turned him on to your guides a number of times, Ben, and they've helped him get up to speed fast. Uh, and he's on a number of scrum teams where I'm scrum mastering. So he's going to look at these and say, uh, yeah, my scrum master is definitely not Huggy Feely. Yeah. <laughs> he's actually seen when we've played, when I was He's definitely not technical. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, he's definitely not writing code much. But what I do have to say on that one is that what we've seen here in our organization, it's a small organization, but uh, the scrum master ends up being a translator between the product owner and the techies and the developers and that kind of thing. Because the product owner is definitely not technical. The devs super are. The role that I've been playing a lot is that kind of translate a product owner you're asking for this developers what do you think they're oh no i thought they wanted this so yeah it's kind of it's that human glue that yeah. goes between all the people it's that you know scrum so master is the keeper horse. of the process so yeah, i'm an old horse you were just we just had that old guy moment now you're calling me glue <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna i, I want to do a shameless plug shameless plug yeah. look at my uh, plural site scrum master skills class it's like five or six hours of like scrum master tips Cool. cool. Another plug. You said you we can now a... with our with our uh, with that new partner benefit. This is great. Yeah, go, go watch it. And you're saying you're working on it. What was the course you're working on? Uh, well, the Scrum Master Skills class has been out for right. yeah, yeah. 18 months. Um, the one I'm on right now is an upgrade to my TFS 2015 DevOps Skills class. So I'm doing TFS Visual Studio 2017 DevOps Skills. Um, so with this one, I'm adding. Um, I'm planning to add Docker stuff. I'm planning to add all this cross-platform. So a lot of the stuff I've been doing lately with Linux and uh, .NET Core is so that I can learn that, put it into the course. Um, so it's actually kind of funny, like getting into 
writing this course, when I initially was doing the course proposal for the 2017 course, I was thinking, oh, there's not that much new stuff. But when you sort of dig in, this is one of these releases where they didn't drop a whole lot of new features, but they, well, like, not like gigantic feature errors, but they made the existing features so much better. There's so much new stuff. So uh, in short, Oscar, I'll let you know. Keep an eye open for his course. You'll want to definitely watch. Uh, Last question. And then we have to wrap up. And this is a a half hour question. But um, let's say somebody has gotten the authorization to move to Visual Studio Team Services, or they're standing up a new on-prem TFS 2017, you know, bare metal. So everything is new and installed. They followed your guide, installed Server 2016 and SQL 2016 and and, and all this good kind of stuff. Just like hypothetically, Greg, because it's completely, uh, yeah, not, not me or anything. This is, you're asking for a friend. In the least bit. Um, and, and they and they want to start fresh. They don't want to do, you know, their their current one has been upgraded. Their on-prem has been from 2012 to 2013 to 2015, a bunch of different updates. People have come and gone, teams have gone and gone. It's reorganization time, you know, which is good to do when you're standing up a whole new version. What is the guidance right now when you're, you, you build your BSTS collection, you create your brand new bare metal TFS collection, project collection? Is the guidance for team projects? Is it one project rules them all? Is it every team should have their own? Every solution should have their own project? Uh, what's what's kind of, and, and anybody, Angela, Martin, you, you guys can pipe in on this one too. What is, what sh- I've got something brand new. What should I do with it? Oh, oh man. Answer that one. Yeah, well, I have a, I have a number of different opinions. Um, number one, the thing that starts popping into my head is if you're starting over, I would say do a couple sprints on paper and see what works and then translate that into TFS um, because a lot of teams get bogged down with how do you make TFS dance the way you want it to. And in reverse, TFS makes them dance in a really weird way and they don't get so um, messed up if they do it on paper first. So, you know, two, three sprint, uh, one or two sprints on paper starts to make a big difference. Um, after that, Man, this is going to make Martin Hinchelwood's head explode. But I would say one team project to rule them all with sub teams. Cool. Yeah, I'd I'd agree. We I have that conversation a lot. We've got a lot of customers in the, in this part of the the states also trying to move to VSTS and. A lot of times their current environment is kind of a hot mess, right? Like they've upgraded three or four times, you know, maybe they spun up a new team project every time they had a new project. And and so it's not unusual to be working with someone where they're like, yeah, we have 200 team projects and they're all using different templates and we have no idea how to use this team thing. Um, So we end up doing a lot of education around the one team project with multiple sub teams and, and how to, how to essentially make TFS support what you're doing, not the other way around, like what Ben said, because it's easy to get in the trap where they, they kind of try to awkwardly make themselves fit what they think TFS does rather than rather than the other way around. So a lot of times you do end up doing kind of the, the nuke what you've got, maybe archive it, but then start fresh and really think through your process before you start chucking a bunch of stuff into to BSTS. Well, what and gets think- a little harder than that is when, when your release, um, the way that you do releases gets reflected in your source repository and your branching structure. Yeah. Like, Yesterday, I was hanging out with a customer, and they've got, let's say, a decade worth of C-sharp code. And it like there are some oddities with the way that they work with each other that showed up in version control. And they're on the point of considering nuking their team project and starting over. But they're not just going to have to nuke their team project for work item management. 
they really kind of have to get into the code and change their project references and their binary references and consider adopting a private NuGet server. Like there's a lot of work that needs to go in there before they can really get to DevOps nirvana. Cool. Yeah, that, that's thank you. I appreciate that uh, for those out there in that situation. <laughs> Hypothetically. Uh, Hypothetically speaking. Uh, ben, what's the best way people to uh, contact you or connect with you? Man, I'm at Ben Day on Twitter, www.benday.com. Uh, ben Day at benday.com is my email address. And yeah, drop me a line. Awesome. Um, before we go, we have two feedback items. Uh, uh, two of our, um, Peter and Rod, thank you for your emails. They're both commented on the, the two Martins show. And uh, I really appreciate your guys' feedback. I I'm glad we're supplying you information that, that really helps. Rod, I know you said we didn't have to read it on the air, so I'm not going to read your email on it. Fine, forget it. You said I didn't have to. Both of you, thank you. And actually, all the listeners, I, I want to thank you for listening. We couldn't do this without you uh, because we would have zero downloads and then it would be it would be kind of boring. Kind of I'm just going to jump in on this one, though, because I know Ben yeah. has. You do, you do a lot of stuff with um, – you've done some work, not just with financial services, but with um, government departments and things like that, haven't you? been some public sector stuff is that right um more on the coding side not so much with the uh, tfs side actually no oh, okay no you're you're correct i i have done that i've forgotten yeah no i was uh, just thinking because in terms of adopting agile in in like um you know in government projects and things like that you've you've seen some people do that um yeah that particular customer didn't do it very well. Um, <laughs> it, it was kind of a stumbling mess. Although the thing that was kind of funny is like, I, I found out after I rolled off that project that it ended up being a finalist for excellence in government. And I was like, how did that happen? It makes you wonder about the other entities. Yeah, I'm like, that was a good one. What was a bad one like? Hey, did it, did it actually deliver? I've worked on government projects that have lasted, you know, several years and spent billions of pounds and, and got canceled. So, you know, you finished it. It's a good one. Yeah, it, it, it delivered. Um, the stuff worked. Um, yeah, I mean, actually, yeah, in the grand scheme of things, it was, uh, I wouldn't say stumbling to the finish line, but you know, we actually did a pretty good, pretty good job. It just was really stressful at times. All right. Before I do the final wrap up, uh, I want to thank uh, Ben for you being on. I really appreciate it. Uh, great show as like as last time. I think we talked when you were last on. Did we talk a whole bunch of Ken Ban? Do you remember? I do not remember. I'm actually not sure what the topic was. Um, what, actually, what was the topic last time? Anyone remember? Let's see. Show 63, we talked about, oh, God, we talked about Conchango's Scrum template. Oh, yeah. Uh, wow, uh, this was a while ago. We do, we do a lot more shows nowadays than we used to. <laughs> yeah, that was uh, all the work that I did. Like, I'd, I'd written a tool to auto-upgrade uh, 170 Conchango projects to the the Agile 2015 template. That was, whoa, that was a lot of work. We were talking about this new thing called Git. What's this Git stuff? Yeah. I don't think Git was even out yet. <laughs> no, no TLS, but I remember we'd sat in some like New Orleans or somewhere like that, Ben, and I was telling you all about Git, and uh, you know, I was saying you might want to go learn about Git. I think Git's going to be a thing someday. And, and I think that in, in that <laughs> we were maybe a cocktail or two in, and I was like, this sounds stupid. Why do I care about this? <laughs> Martin, you don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, I was like, Ipnay on the Nipnay, just get, go and learn some Git. I'm not saying any more than that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Angela, I want to thank you for being on. Yeah, absolutely. It was a lot of fun. Always good getting to catch up with Ben. And uh, Josh had to take off. I'm going to thank Josh in, in uh, his absence. And most importantly, again, I want to thank you, the listener. If you guys want to send us feedback, send us an email at radiotfs at outlook.com. We're on Twitter as well, at radiotfs. We're on Facebook slash radiotfs. Voicemail, 
Safe for Work. We'll play it on the air so you can be like a, a pseudo guest host on Reader TFS. Phone number is 1-425-233-8379. And if you can't remember that number, it's on the webpage in the show notes at RadioTFS.com. And again, everybody, thank you for listening to Radio TFS.